Hi everyone, welcome to The Way. This is Francis. And this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. Woohoo! It's good to be back. Yes, it is. Francis is a little sleepy today. I am. I woke up way too early. I woke up probably an hour and a half earlier than I should have. Should wow. Have. Yes. Yeah, you don't do good when you get up early. No. Once I'm awake, I'm awake too. I can't fall back asleep. So. Do you have your coffee at least? No. Really? I didn't have my coffee until at least 8.30. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, that, Folks, that's not good. Nope. That's not good at all. Anyway... We are now on our, what is this, part four part of our four. Family is Messy series. Family is Messy. Yes. That's right. And actually, this time we're going to go into the Family of God is Messy yes. part. Um, I know, you know, there's a thing out there in our culture right now and society where, you know, there are always the reason for not going to church or attending church or being following Jesus is because they've been hurt in the church. Yeah, they call it, quote unquote, church hurt. Right. And so we're here to tell you that, yeah, those are true things. Yeah, church hurt is, church hurt is a real it's thing. It's a real thing. And probably because it's full of regular people, you know, people that are not perfect. People that are sinful. Yeah. So, you know, the church is full of that. That they're not full of saints in a sense. You know, where they're like uh, sinless. Right. So. Yeah, a church hurt is a reality, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, when you put yourself in a position to be with people, especially doing life with people, people are gonna hurt you. They're gonna let you down. They're going yeah. to. Um, they're going to disappoint you. Yeah. And honestly, we're not saying, oh, that's a good, that, that's an excuse, like being human right. and imperfect. Those are not excuses for church hurt. Because I think, you know, what we're not trying to say is like, you know, kind of brush it off as those are not real hurt that you've experienced. Because right. we've experienced real hurt in the church. Right. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, we had to learn to walk, you know, kind of work through that with you know, with our Lord and Savior, yeah. basically him, him helping us to heal and, you know, get past that hurt. Francis and I like to say, you know, because we've been in ministry for a number of years, you know, we've experienced church hurt, meaning like we've been hurt, yep. but we've also been the ones doing That's the That's right. We've <laughs> also done the hurting, especially, yeah. I know, definitely in our early years when we didn't really know any better. Yeah. Almost, you know. I mean, I think, I, yeah, I mean. Well, I, we kind of knew better. We but. knew better, but it, it, I know what you meant. Like, we were very immature in yeah. the faith and um, didn't realize the, the, the damage we would do. Right. Right. We didn't, a lot of times, you know, you think when you're going through your stuff that it only affects you. But in reality, when you're going through your stuff, you don't realize the number of lives that that touches. Yes. And, uh, you know. That's how church hurt really does damage in in the church, and specifically, you know what the Bible says about how the church is known in the world. Right? Jesus said this statement. He said that that people will know that we're his followers because of our love for one another. Right. So when that's not happening, right, 
I think the converse is true. People look at the body of Christ, they look at the church, and they, when they don't see love, when they, when they see hurt and they see pain and they see destruction, you know, um, they see the opposite of where his followers, right? right? They, they see hypocrisy. They see um, liars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see connivers. They see people who are out for their own selfish gain, right? They, they see a lot of different things. Um, and as Francis said really well just now, like the church is, you know, anyone who expects Christians to be perfect, you're missing the point, right? Um, there's a, the old cliche that says that Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven, right? Like there's no, there shouldn't be an expectation of perfection. There should be an expectation of, of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and, and doing life together and serving and humility and all these traits that we see in scripture as being lifted up as one another, you know, how we function with one another, um, but when the church functions similarly to the way we are out in the world, you know, the way you know, stepping on each other and and arguing with one another and and you know, gossiping against one another and stabbing each other in the back, and when we when we're doing that as the church, what does the world have to look to and see? God, right? And I think even you know, I think of like, I think most Christians, if I if you're if you're looking at it in this sense, because I know when I think of it from our standpoint, um, you know, coming to know Christ, you know, initially there's that awe and just excitement of you realizing you're a sinner and yet you you don't have to be left there, that right. there is this hope and forgiveness in Christ, right? So you get really excited of that. Now you're a new creation, yeah. basically, where you can walk away from all those things that you were, um, that were ugly and those are things and things that were hurt and actually allow Jesus to heal you and and restore you and forgive you. you it's know? a wholeness that you can't describe, yeah, right? It is a wholeness. And so you get super excited with that and you just I know at least for me you devour you, you devour like everything about like what Jesus has to say. Like you, you know, you go attend all the church services, you you know, the church suddenly becomes your life. Mm. And I know, at least for me, what didn't happen was actually reading the Bible. Yeah, you know, reading His Word. That truly, the Holy Spirit that now that now lives in me should be transforming me because I'm reading His Word, right? And here's the thing, and I know I'm probably gonna step on some toes out there, but probably majority of people that attend church may not be actually Christians. Also, I don't know, I would beg to differ, like how many of them are actually reading the Bible. Yeah. You know, because I really do feel like as you're getting to know Jesus, as you're reading his word, that your life is being transformed. Your heart is being transformed. So the choices you make, the things you say, the things you do becomes like a little, you know, more and more like him, you know, not saying we're perfect because again, we're humans and we're imperfect sinners. Um, so there may be times where you hurt someone. There may be times when you get hurt from someone, you know, but to expect perfection from someone, I think that just because they say they're a Christian is a little bit 
uh, I don't know, naive. It's naive and and honestly, it's not really the message of Christianity, right? Because the message of Christianity is about repentance, right? Right, like that uh, you actually need Jesus. Exactly. So, like, if I'm perfect, then why do we need God? Right. right? So. I think that's where folks kind of really trip over themselves in dealing with church hurt and f- being frustrated with the church and even walking away from the church is what their expectations are of others they don't hold themselves to. Right. And right. I mean, I think, you know, that's sometimes, I mean, I know like for us, like I said, it's like, you know, you come to know Christ, you're excited about like following Jesus. And sometimes your your communication about that also doesn't go as, as loving as you want it yeah. to. Right. You're yeah. like, hey, you should do this. You should do that because this changed me rather than think like, you know, recognizing that, you know, God is sovereign. So he saved me at, that, at such a time that I needed to be saved. Mm. And it was his timing, you know, yeah. that I'm not the savior. I'm not God. So therefore, you know, yes, I could tell someone about Christ, but I don't need to like, like basically like badger them with it. Well, and even if it's not badgering, so like even even in the best attempts at bringing this to someone, you know, this thing that you found, right? That transformation that you're describing that you want so badly for others, you know, oftentimes, especially in, in our modern settings, it's presented as almost therapeutic, mm-hmm. right? Like I want to I want to modify your behavior. I want, you know, if you want to get over some addiction or you want to, you know, be a better husband or a better wife or whatever, Christianity is sold as like this self-help mechanism to get you to be a better person, right? right? When in reality, the message of Christ um, is really much less therapeutic than it is a life. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And I think we forget that even with each other in the body. With the, oh, oh, yeah. Christ, you know, Absolutely. in the church, especially, we definitely have a lot of expectations for one another. I know I do. Yeah. And I think it's because I know I hold myself to some expectation. So it turns around to like, I turn around and actually hold others to that expectation, mm. which is completely wrong. Because like I said, I'm not God. Yeah. What are, can you think of some of the things that we, that we want to talk about on here? You know, just just to kind of let people know, let people kind of see behind the curtain in our life when we're talking about church hurt, what we've experienced over the years. Um, I mean, let's start with like our own, uh, I guess, failure to love others, okay. right? Because, you know, I mean, I, I definitely want to be real with you guys. Like, I'm not trying to say, oh, like we don't have any church hurt. Or that we've been hurt because we've also done the hurting. Sure. You know, and I mean, even in our marriage and our, our our early years in our marriage, when we first came to know the Lord, there was a lot of things broken in our marriage that we didn't fix. Right. So what happens with that is you kind of just sweep that under the rug. So what happens with that is then you then don't realize that there was a lot of like resentment and bitterness and then all that stuff comes out in different ways. Yeah. Uh, so it could be just like, you know, just lashing out or even ignoring, the, you know, your your partner, you know, or finding somewhere else that you could find like, uh, like someone you could connect to, you know. And I think, you know, especially in the church where you see a lot of things that are 
that are happening as far as in like let's say adultery is because there's a lot of that kind of hurt yeah you know we had that in our marriage yep. you know where it's like what do we do with this hurt that we never dealt with yeah you know so instead you go out and find other people to like make you feel better yeah and that was hurtful in the church you know mm. and i know like one of the things that you know we talked about this earlier on and how the beauty about what we went through in, like I said, in our church, uh, our first church where we got saved is that our marriage was broken. And it wasn't anybody else's doing but ours. But ours, absolutely. And so, but we had a church body there that truly loved us and just prayed for us. Yeah. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't. They weren't nosy or gossiping, or at least if they were, we didn't hear anything. Um, but they, they just prayed for us, and the pastors shielded us from you know anyone. I mean, protected us, protected us, so, counseled us. Yeah. Um, and so, even though we were there hurting each other and hurting other people because our marriage was so broken, that. Like, God's goodness and grace was still there for us. Yeah, he surrounded us with people who loved us unconditionally in a way that we probably had never experienced before um, and really showed us the object lesson of how God loves us through that church. Yeah. Which is an incredible group of people who um, God used them to really change us. Definitely. Right? And, and it set us on a path of humility because because you know obviously when you go through stuff like we did where we you know were really horrible to one another right and then you realize what you've done and the damage not only that we've done to each other and to our daughter and then to these people in this church and yet they still love us yeah and protect us and still want us around you know and you know in that season one of the things that we experienced for the first time was, was we, we experienced God literally evicting us from that church because, you know, we were hard headed and we had our own views on certain things. And, uh, the Lord said, no, it's time for you to go. And he called us away from there. And this was unbeknownst to us at the time. We just thought we were moving on mm -hmm. because of, you know, the desire to come back to the Washington, D.C. area at that point in the early 2000s. And, you know, here we are thinking this is our doing and the Lord's in it, not realizing that much later when he reveals to us that, you know, yeah, I moved you because you were jerks. You were jerks. <laughs> and so, like. Folks, when we're speaking on this, we're not just speaking on this as people who have received church hurt. We're speaking on this as people who have been the herders, been the ones doing the hurting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, Francis and I are, are not strangers to sin. We're not strangers to uh, hurting one another and hurting others. Um, and, you know, we have to live with that. You know, yeah. we have to live with that past. And... Uh, Here's what I'll tell you. Living with it is horrible. Um, obviously, God's merciful. And, and when you repent like we have, because I know we have, both of us, and, and we're trying to live our life to his standard of love. Um, but that sticks with you. It's a scar that sticks with you um, as a person who has brought that kind of pain to the church, especially to God's people. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, um, 
receiving that kind of hurt is is also damaging. Yeah. Right. Um. And and it's really hard to talk about because we don't talk about it much. We don't we don't um. We try really hard not to throw people under the bus and and speak ill of folks. Um. And we're not going to do that here. Okay. So no tea spilling here as far as like calling out people and things like that. But we've experienced some pretty hard times in the body of Christ. Um, and honestly, if I'm being really honest about it, um, because of the nature of what it means to be part of the church, I've been let down more by people who are who call themselves Christians than anyone on this earth. That's for sure. I've been hurt by people who call themselves Christians way more than I've been hurt by people who are not. Um, some of that is because of my vulnerability in the in the church and really wanting to love and be loved and be accepted and and those types of things in the church, but also wanting to do life with folks and then when doing life with them their baggage their sin is on full display right and you just like ours was just like ours initially. was exactly yep. exactly and and you know it took us a while Francis and I and I want you to speak to this it took us a while to to really see this pattern and to recognize it for what it is that like we're not better than anyone and no one's better than us in the church. We simply are people who are sinners who are trying to, to exemplify Christ to the world, even though we're, we, we live in this imperfection, right? This, this sinful existence. And it's a really hard thing to understand but even when you do understand it, it's a really hard thing to to embrace because no one wants to get hurt, right? Nobody wants to experience that kind of pain. No one wants to be let down. And so you want to, like Francis said, you, you want to lash out. You want to be angry. You want to hold a grudge. You, you know what I mean? You want to do those things. But the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. It just doesn't. You know, I'm kind of like trying to like think about all the different times that, you know, that we've been hurt. And there were plenty. Um, but I also know like there are many times that we've hurt people. Absolutely. So it's kind of really, really, really hard to like kind of go, okay, is my pain more than their pain? Right. You know what I mean? Or, you know, is it... Like, why am I, you know, forgivable versus they are, you know, are they not forgivable as right. well? You know, so, you know, I'm sitting here just thinking of them many times and you just wish that there wasn't that, yeah. that there wasn't the, the, the hurt or there wasn't the pain. But yet, I think part of following Jesus is allowing him to basically refine us in that fire of, you know, purifying us right so a lot of it is 
a lot of our sin natures, the things that we are, I don't know, that we hold on to, like our pride or our controllingness or, you know, just the different baggage that we may have growing up or different sin issues that we've hidden in this, the closet, you know, all those things, he, he allows different seasons in our life to kind of like uproot them, Yeah, you know, uproot them so that they mm. are no longer part of us, but instead we are one step closer to being more like him. Yes. You know, yes. and that transforming thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, we've had our fair share of hurting people. And then there were many times when we've been hurt. And I go, why is that? Right? Because I want to, like Jason said, I want to lash out. I want to like go, why did you do this? Why can't you just admit you're wrong type thing? Or why don't you, you know, you, you kind of play different scenarios in your head. And yet maybe they have to go through that, you know, where they hurt me. Therefore, like they lose a friend. And maybe God is refining them in that yeah. season about like how they talk to a, a person or how they treat a friend, you know, which is kind of funny because, you know, that happened to me. And then because of that, that hurt, I also put a guard up, Yeah, you know, and therefore like didn't want to have any friendships, wasn't open to any friendships for a long time, which is kind of silly because you're in a church, Yeah, you know, you're in a church full of like sisters in christ you know you're supposed to do life together and you know you just open that door just a little you crack that door just a little bit but not enough yeah. to let really anybody else in you know yeah, it's a vicious cycle and, and i and i want to share a biblical perspective on this um because it's not just from experience we see it in scripture right yep. this messiness of, the, of the, Ooh, yeah. the the family of god so i'm reading from the book of acts this is when the church you know, just kind of was getting off the ground, so to speak. It was getting started. And at the end of chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 32, it says this, All the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. That sounds like a family, right? They shared everything they had. Well, some families maybe. <laughs> <laughs> And the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great favor was upon them all. There was no poverty among them, because people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. So in other words, there was this immense generosity yep. seen in this family of God, right? And then they give this example of uh, Barnabas, who sells a plot of land and brings the money to the apostles. That's how chapter four ends. And then chapter five, you know, in 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 great biblical narrative fashion, starts with this this little story. Chapter five, verse one says there was also a man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property, just like Barnabas. He, meaning Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed it was the full amount. His wife had agreed to this deception. Okay, so, if, listener, if you would imagine, you know, being in a family of people where there's this really immense generosity that happens in that family, right? Where, where you know, you're looking out for one another and... No one really hasn't, you know, is needy because everyone's taking care of each other, right? It's that kind of family. <clears throat> Maybe you don't come from that kind of family, but if you could imagine 
what family would be in like its highest form. That's a beautiful family, okay? And then you have this one couple in the family. Doesn't say whether they have kids or not. The assumption is they don't. But this guy sees what's going on in the family and how people are just really, really over the moon about how folks are selling things and bringing the money and everybody has access to it and everybody's taken care of. And generosity seems to be like the hero, right? People who are very generous are being seen as like these amazing heroes. A little different than our society now, right? Where the guys who are the penny pinchers and the you know the billionaires who hoard everything are the heroes. In this scenario, the ones who are very generous are the heroes. And they even told us about one, Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Ananias and Sapphira, this this couple who is, you know, our cousin, for instance, in the family, they see this and they're like, you know what? We want some of that. We want some of that accolade. We want some of that shine, right? <laughs> They're stealing his thunder. <clears throat> yeah. So they, they they sell a piece of property and they they give part of it to the apostles and hold some back. All right? Now, here's the irony. The irony is, is those apostles would have never known how much they sold that property for. Right? All of this was done... Simply to make Ananias and Sapphira look good, right? And so in their in their need for attention and in their pride, they deceive the family. All right? So that's where we're at. Verse 3 says this, Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of, the, some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How do you do a thing like this? You were lying to us, but to God. So Peter, the big brother, right? He's the he's the kind of the patriarch of the family at this point. Um, he's confronting Ananias and Sapphira in a way and saying, why'd you do this? You didn't have to do this, right? This property was yours. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to bring money to the church. In other words, people weren't compelled to do this. This wasn't, you know, an obligation, right? This wasn't mandated by the church. This was what people were doing because of that transformation that Francis was talking about in their hearts when they came to know Christ. Generosity just flowed from them. Right, but Ananias and Sapphira saw this as an opportunity to to turn the attention towards themselves. So generosity wasn't in their heart. That there wasn't, wasn't the motive. The yeah. motive was to receive praise. Absolutely, and so Peter catches this because of the Holy Spirit, and he confronts it. And then verse five says, "As soon as and as, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died." Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Uncle Ananias in the family dropped dead at Peter's words. That was crazy. I bet people were like, oh, wow. Yeah, what they, just happened? They were terrified. Yeah. All right. It says, then some young men wrapped him in a sheet and took him away and buried him. Right. About three hours later, wifey was out shopping. Right. She was out doing some, some shopping and she comes back. 
and Sapphire not. It says, doesn't say that, folks. It doesn't say that she went go shopping. So <laughs> that's my little that's my little yeah. translation there. It's just adding. It says that. after three hours, his wife came in. This is verse seven. Not not knowing what had happened prior, and uh, Peter asked her, "Was this the price that you and your husband received for your land?" That probing question, right? And uh, she says, "Yes." She replied, "That was the price." Liar! <laughs> Liar! And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young man who buried your husband just outside the door, they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out too and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church. And all others who heard what had happened. Mm. Okay, so here's the key to this story. This is a really weird story. First of all, you have this couple who does something that I think happens quite often in our world and in the church. People deceiving one another, right? You go up and ask somebody how they're doing. Most of the time they're going to look at you and go, I'm fine. I'm I'm doing good today, brother. That's deception, right? (laughs) That's employing deception. You're not being honest about things right so and that's just a really silly example but but, you know we wear masks and we kind of hide our sin and kind of hide the things that are going on in our life we're deceptive in the body of christ a lot of times right so you know the question has always been asked well why would god kill ananias and sapphira here right but there's a, a really interesting hint in verse 11 that last verse of that section um and it has to do with the word fear, right? And I'm, I'm kind of backing up, Francis, what you said earlier about why we go through church hurt, okay? I, I think that in the modern sense, in, in Western Christianity, we have relied so much on comfort and we've relied so much on like positive experience and positive feelings to drive us spiritually, emotionally, physically. We, we want positivity all the time. When in reality, the real, like one of the greatest instructors, teachers in life is pain. And we avoid pain, right? And there's no more pain. There's nothing that's more painful than dealing with, with family hurt, right? I mean, imagine, you know, I don't even like putting myself mentally in the place where we were when we were going through that stuff, you know, those years ago. Um, that hurt, I, I can't even put a word to it, how much it hurt, right? There's no words for that kind of hurt that we experienced than we did to one another. And the, then the thought of us hurting other people, right? Like that, there's no words for that. But it was an amazing instructor for us. Right, it taught us some very, very valuable lessons when we were willing to hear it. Obviously, right. right? right. Um, so, what you have in verse eleven here is this amazing little tidbit of information that the Holy Spirit says to the, to the Apostle Luke or the writer Luke it says this: Great fear gripped the entire church and all others who heard what had happened. So, this this story didn't just stay within the walls of the church; it actually went outside the church and it was a object lesson for what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Now that's crazy, and it's 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 foreign to our ears as modern Christians. But the reality is, pain and suffering and even death, God uses all of it. Yeah, nothing is wasted. Well, even in in that story, you know, let's say Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't they didn't like fall down dead, right? But just the the fact that Peter confronted them of of what they had done, to me, shows that. One, he's trying to go, hey, I think they gave him a chance. Sure. He almost gave him a chance to come clean. Yeah. You know? And as a body of believers, when you're seeing a brother or sister in sin, the first thing you should probably do is not gossip about him, not talk about them behind their back, but say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting God, and you're hurting your family or whatever, right? Right, right. Or instead... What happens in the church is we keep quiet and yet we don't because we're gossiping about it. Do you know what I mean? And so you're not giving your brother or sister a chance to actually see their sin and repent. Yeah. You know, and instead what happens is the the gossip goes around or they get hurt because of this or somebody gets hurt and that's when they like leave or whatever. Right. Yeah. Because. You're not doing, as a, as a follower of Christ, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, and what we see in this story is the kind of relationship that Peter had with Ananias and Sapphira. He could confront them. Right. Right? They were doing life as the body of Christ together, and Peter had that kind of access to go to them and say, y'all are wrong. You know, I think a lot of the way that we've structured the church now prevents us from being able to do this right yeah. we, we we because we come together you know for a service and you know we sit in a pew and look straight ahead and almost ignore each other right and when we do interact with one another it's usually on false pretense right it's usually like we put our best up and we you know we shine ourselves up a little bit and make ourselves look good and feel good for those you know few hours we're at church on Sunday um, but people aren't getting the real us. No. Right? I mean, I don't even know if they're actually even sharing what they're struggling with. Right. With one another. You know what I mean? And I think if you can't sit down with someone that you've had tea with or you had coffee with or you watch a game with and actually confess your sin to that person, what kind of relationship do you really have with them? Well, and listen to what James says about the very thing that you said. Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed, right? You know, you want to talk about healing. There's holistic healing in what you just said, Francis. And it's it's within the context of the church. It's not some stranger that you're confessing to. These are people that you're doing life with. And see, that's why this story of Ananias and Sapphira is so powerful is because it's a picture of the family of God and all of its messiness, mm. Right. And yet, this is the very early onset of the church. And what we see from there, the next section in Acts chapter 5, is it says the apostles are out healing many. And the church is growing, right? The church is is health, is becoming more healthy. And, and it's moving away from Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the earth, like Jesus had predicted in Acts chapter 2, mm-hmm. right? So this beauty of where God takes pain, and he takes death in this case, and he creates this amazing move, this movement of the church. And honestly, I don't know 
and I, I'm, I really think what you said earlier was a gem. I don't know that the church is quite the church without this Ananias and Sapphira story in the very beginning stages of the church, right? Because that great fear that gripped people is a way for people to connect to God in a way that maybe they weren't thinking of in that moment. Like when you're in that generous love fest that you're having with all these people, you know, we've experienced that in the church where, you know, you don't, you go to church and you have a great service and nobody wants to go home, right? Like you're just this amazing experience, right? But in the midst of that, God does something that's like kaboom, right? He just drops a bomb on the whole thing. And now you're not in a love fest anymore. Now you're like, whoa, like, I don't know what to make of that. You know what I mean? Like, and this great fear grips me. And then that extends outside the church. Well, I think it's a healthy fear because, you know, you, you sometimes you get complacent yeah. of like thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we're just... In a church, especially, it's like we're one big happy family, and and it becomes like a what is that called a country club? Yeah, you know where really you're there not only to worship Christ but to love on one another yes. as well. Yes, you know meet each other's needs. You know, but you get so complacent that all you're there for is like so you could get your church on. You know, you could get your praise on, or you could get like that feel good feeling that you were talking about earlier rather than, Hey, weeping with your brother and sisters because they're going through some crazy stuff. Maybe they have an addiction. Maybe they have like, you know, a death in the family or, you know, something that you're not willing to go and mourn or cry with them because you're too busy getting your praise on. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, when we, you were talking about that one scripture in the beginning where, um, you know, they will know that we are his followers by our love one another. But I also think, you know, the way we treat each other or the way we even like shield each, like almost like not talk about the ugly that's in the church is also causing the, the, like the people outside the church to go, what are these people doing in that church? They're like crazy hypocrites. And like, they're just letting this and that happen, you know, because there's no accountability. And, you know, it reminds me of like, you know, the one Matthew 18 principle that we always talk about where it's like when you're like someone is in sin, you go and go to that one person and tell, you know, basically say, hey, you're this is what what happened. You offended me or, you know, or something like that. Right. So you go to that person. And if there's no resolution, you also come back and bring somebody else, another witness. Pause for a second. But what I find interesting about that verse before you move on uh-huh. is the one who's offended is the one who's expected to right. initiate. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then there's the other scripture that we were talking about. Like who was what was that one? The one that about um basically the guy was having an affair with his Oh, in First Corinthians five. Yeah. With his basically like a stepmom basically. Right. So basically this guy was having an affair with his stepmom and it's basically wilding out in the church. It's like known. And finally they were like, you know, nah, man, <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. And basically called him out and then asked him to leave yeah. because he was basically like living wild and out and, 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 and then claiming to be a Christian, yeah. claiming to be following Jesus. And here he is doing this. But see, in the church, especially like these days, nobody wants to call out anyone. You know, and then you see all these hypocrites that are like, you know, like living their life like 
I don't know, like like Saturday night club or Friday night club type of life, you know, pretty much for the, you know, during the week. And then it was Sunday. That's when they're in church. And you're like, so the world's looking at this as like, what is happening? Well, it's, it's literally the definition of hypocritical, right? Right. It's the very definition. Of but the thing is like, you know, if you're at a church body, you should be taking care of that in a sense of you're not hiding it. You're correcting that. You're basically letting that person like have a time to like basically repent of their sins. So that means you have to call it out. Yeah, but here's my question. And this is, you know, I know this kind of often gets laughed off, but I think the reality of that situation you just described is 100% a function of the fact that we don't have relationships with people in the church. No, so how do, don't. So how do I call someone out if I don't have a relationship with them. Well, sometimes it's not even that. I think it's because they don't want to be like the bad guy or they don't want them to not, not like them anymore, you know? But I mean, I think that's true. But I also think that a big part of why that culture doesn't exist in the body of Christ, especially here in the West, is because we've we've set church up as a place to go and not... It's not fun. It doesn't function as a family. That's right. It right? doesn't. And so when it doesn't function as a family, there's no mechanism to actually do the Matthew 18 principle because we don't have the relationships that are needed in order for us, me to approach you and say, hey, you hurt me. Right. Like I, I if I don't like if I get hurt by somebody in the in the church setting, typically it's. It's hurt over something, you know, like you said, gossip or whatever, but there's no relationship there to repair, typically. You know what I mean? And there, and that's obviously I'm generalizing because there are relationships that exist in the church. Please don't get me wrong here. Uh, people do have relationships in the body of Christ. But generally what you see is the structure and the way that it's set up, it's not set up to function as a family, right? It's set up to function as an organization. You know, there's an organizational attitude and mindset the way that people approach the body of Christ in the majority of our church settings and so when hurt happens it's handled like an organization it's not handled like a family right and like you said the Matthew 18 principle taking a step further is if I if I don't reach you in that first time well then I'd bring someone with me yeah you know what I mean and I can't do that if I don't have anybody in my corner to bring with me if I don't have relationship with folks to do that who am I going to bring with me yeah, you know. I know. And then the last part of that is take it to the church. What does yep. that mean? What exactly does that mean? Take it to the church. Like, am I going to stand up in front of like this board of of you know ex- you know executive board and plead my case like court? I don't think that's what was intended. You know what I mean? I think this means like having a conversation with your family, having a family meeting. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, it, it, the way that could only happen is if they actually have relationship with one another, right? right? And so in a church, if that's not happening, if that's there's no real transparent relationships with one another, how do you call out anybody in their sin? Yeah. How can you even know what's happening in somebody's life? Because let me tell you, majority of the things that are shared in the church are only the good things. Yep. No one likes to share their dirty laundry, okay? No one. No one. Not the pastor. Not the pastor. Not the worship We're leader. definitely, as pastors and leaders, we're taught not to. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So if you're a pastor, you 
there are so many pastors lately that are killing themselves because they have no one to talk to. They have going through mental issues, you know, like, like how do you have a congregation of 200, 300 thousands and not have a single friend? Right. Yeah. How? It's not a value. No, it's not. Yeah. Because honestly, the church has just become a place that they go to every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday. Yeah, it's organizational. And until it starts to function as a family, and, and honestly, circling back all the way to what we talked about in the very beginning, you know, what the mechanism that God used to really get our attention is that the church in Colchester, Connecticut, tr- treated us like family. Yeah. And they dealt with it like a family, right? Like they, they circled the wagons around us. They protected us. They they, they loved us. They called out our ish. Yeah, I they, mean, they called out our ish and said, no, you can't be doing this. Right. And we need to figure out a way to get you back in a healthy way. Yes. You know, following Jesus. Yeah. It and was, serving him. It was incredible because it was incredibly loving, yet it was incredibly humbling. Right. You know, and I, th- I don't think that people put those two words together a lot. Right, I don't think that people put loving and humbling in the same category. Right, it, it, people are afraid to be humbled. Right, but like a real follower of Christ. So listen to me very closely, listener. A real follower of Christ is not afraid of being humbled. Right, not afraid of that that experience of humbling yourself. This is what the Bible says: humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. That's what happened with Francis and I. Is that because we came to this moment of like broken, sin, gross, like just hurting each other, right? And we it's staring us in the face. And all the hurt between us, with our kid, with, with the church is all weighing on us and staring at us. And we had an option. We had an option to run. We could have gotten divorced, right? Most, yep. most people would have looked at our marriage at that point and said, you guys shouldn't be married anymore. Right. And honestly, biblically, because of what happened in our marriage, biblically, we would have been covered. We could have been like, you know what? Yes, uh, the Bible gives us the option to divorce in this case. But for some reason, God gave us the grace to be like, and maybe some of it was our our stubbornness. Right. I'm I'm not going to lie. Francis and I both were very stubborn, hard headed folks still are. But I also believe that God gave us the grace to, to, and, I, and I think a lot of it was because these people were just so supportive. The way they handled it. So supportive. Yeah. And the way that they approached us motivated us to want to work, to work, to put the work in, to, to, to grow up. I mean, that's what our counselor said. You know, our, the person who performed our counseling, shout out to Wanda Dudek. The, she looked at us after, you know, several weeks and months of, of, of uh, therapy where she sat with us and talked with us and we aired out our grievances and our dirty laundry, as Francis said. And then one, one day she looks at us and goes, you know, it's time for you guys to grow up and, and go live this. Right. And, th- and that was those were powerful words for us to hear because it was true. Like we've been married already for close to 10 years at that point, And it was time for us to stop being about ourselves and for us to be team reigns. That's why we call ourselves that. Because uh, we had not functioned as a team at that point, right? Nope. And that church motivated us to do so. Well, it's not just motivation. It's mostly, it's like they loved us. Yes. it com- That love compelled us yeah. to desire the things of God. The love they, of they, God through them. Right. 
motivated, compelled, inspired yeah. us. And, you know, it's one of the greatest lessons that we've learned over the years. And we forever hold that church in our heart as an example, right? Everything we try to do, as crazy as that situation was, um, as, as, you know, we chuckle about it now, uh, just the size of the church and just the quirkiness of it and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is we try to mirror a lot of what we learned there because they loved us. Mm-hmm. And listen, listener, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, the scripture says, right? The Bible says that, that love covers a multitude of sins. Obviously, the best example of that is the cross. But love does cover sin. And the reality for us and for you is that you don't have to live in the messiness. And more importantly, God can use the messiness to transform us into his likeness, right? He takes us and he transforms us through suffering and pain and hurt and all these things that we use to push him away. He can take that if we're willing to accept it. That's the key. We have to be willing participants in this process and he uses it to change us from the inside out that's called sanctification he transforms us into his image and that's what the whole loving one another thing is about that's what all the one another's about in the in the new testament and you can't do that if all you're doing is focusing on hurt yeah no i mean to some at some point you know you can't change it you can't change the past you can't you know change what happened you know, and so, but what you do have going like now and going forward is the love of Christ. Yes. You know, there's hope in him. There's healing in him. There's forgiveness in him. There is, there is like hope and like eternal life in him. And so, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be those hurts. That's just like, you don't want to even think about because there are, there were those things for us. But I also know, I hope, that the hurt that we've caused someone didn't cause them to also stumble right. and actually and instead they've you, you know god they've allowed god to basically go you know what you're the one i have to hang on to because this hurt is too much you jesus are the one that i have to hang on to because you're the one that never hurts me yeah you're the one that heals you're the one that loves you're the one that comforts you know and so you know i pray that for those people for you guys for us that have been hurt in the church, you know, um, that you don't look at the people hurting you, but you look at Christ who has come to, to heal you and to restore, to, to restore you and to love you, Yeah, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, pray for your enemies. It says in the Bible, pray for your enemies, pray for those that hurt you. Bless those Bless that curse them. you. Yeah. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And so, like I said, I mean, I'm grateful to be part of a body now that knows the good, bad, and ugly of me uh, and still loves me. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things that we try to really encourage the people that we are doing life with is, you know, not only are we encouraging and and holding them accountable, that we want them to do that for us, you know, because we need it. As pastors, as leaders, we need people loving and encouraging us, but also calling out our ish. Like, who's going to do that for us if not but the people that are close to us? Yeah, and, and honestly, just them being close enough to us like they are 
sometimes is enough. Like a lot of times I don't think Christians allow people into their little inner circle to see the ugly, right? So sometimes just their being there and seeing our ugly is like a wake up call sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like when, when they experience us at our worst and they're close enough to us to experience it, yeah, because it's a check. Because our sins don't just affect us. No, they it don't. affects everyone that yeah. we are in lo- doing life with. And I fear so many Christians don't let others in the body of Christ that close, and so therefore they miss a a golden opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to use those folks, right? You know, God is on a number of occasions has used the folks that we do life with to speak to us and to 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 hold us accountable and and honestly, uh, and there are certain times where you know we felt shame um, because just they've seen us at our worst and still love us and. That's what Jesus does. And so this experience of being part of the body of Christ in this way is just a constant reminder of the love of Jesus and how he loves us through our mess. And listener, he'll love you through your mess. Amen. But you can't do it by yourself. And that's what, nope. the, that's what the message is of this, of this episode is, is that as, as messy as the family of God is, much like we need our families um, our natural families. We need our spiritual family. We need the family of God. Um, you can't walk this journey alone as a follower of Jesus. There's a reason why he called 12 guys and why he had three that were closer. Jesus walked with them because they needed each other and they needed him. Yep. So if any Christian tells you that they don't need a church or they're talking horribly about a church, that's, you know. Yeah, that's the, the, they're Then they're missing what really Jesus is about. And honestly, I would question whether they're Christians or not. Um, so listen to me. Listen to our voice right now. If you don't have a church, you need to find one. You need to find not just any church, not just one that's on the corner. But you need to... You need to you need <laughs> yeah, to, definitely not just one in the corner. Yeah. You need to find one that, that, that loves Jesus, loves the Word of God, but also one where people are doing life with one another. And you see it because they're loving one another. Yeah, it's visible. Well, thank you for your time. We love you and God bless you. And remember, family's messy, but God is good. Amen. Bye, everybody. Bye.